0: Drive Time Radio with New York Vinny.
1: Ah, oh, good morning, Buongiorno. As uh, as if I was doing the Italian show. You know, I should, we should switch shows sometime. I should uh, I should do the Italian show uh, and. They can come in here and do drive-time. I don't know. Uh, the accents sound a little crazy to me. But, uh, I, you know, i got a lot of Italian cousins. I, don't, I haven't had two that sound like that. Anyway, a very good morning to you. It's New York Vinny here. It's Drive Time Radio on this, uh, boy, dreary Saturday morning. We haven't had a a Saturday morning like this in a while. I mean, it's it's been gray, you know, but that kind of high sky gray where, you, you know, it's, it's gray, but you're used to it because... You've lived in Seattle for so long, so you just, this is rain and it's new and at least new over the last couple of weeks. And of course, uh, you know, if you haven't uh, been out for a while and you have to go out in it, it may be a totally new phenomena for you. You may actually, and, and this is maybe the craziest thing about the whole uh, coronavirus uh, quarantine and everything that we're doing. You may actually have to get used to going back out in the rain if you live in Seattle can you imagine that? I mean, did you ever think there would be a time where you would turn to somebody and say, Boy, it's raining out there. I gotta get used to get back out in the in the rain. I gotta put a uh rain hat on or grab an umbrella or something like that. No, you put the cortex on, you leave your head on exposed, you put one of the you know, one of the, the the pearl jam hats on or one of that and boom, you go out there and you go out there and you brave the elements, but when you've been in for so long, or when you've been out of circulation for so long, and you have to go back out into the elements, uh, it takes a little bit of uh, ramping up. You know, you just don't, uh, you just don't jump in the pool. Or well, for most people, some people have to go out there. And, and again, if you are somebody who has been quarantined because quarantining, quarantining, uh, because they are susceptible to uh the virus then you're probably just wanting to stay home anyway we try to keep this uh, as much of a virus free and political free zone as we can although we won't be able to do that a little later this morning because at the 10 minutes after or about five minutes or so uh my good friend Tracy Record from uh the West Seattle uh, blog is going to join us uh, Tracy uh, uh an old friend and um, a compadre, and we were going to get a chance to talk to her about uh, the closing, of, not only the closing, but what might eventually be the disappearance of the West Seattle Bridge and how that is going to affect so many people. Even if you never use that bridge, it's going to affect you. I'll tell you what. Even if you don't live in the state of Washington, the closure of the West Seattle Bridge will affect you in some small way. And we'll tell you why when we talk to Tracy, uh, coming up here in just a little bit. Uh, Also, coming up a little bit later, we got our our cartoon of the week. We're going to take a look at the car I'm driving this week. We're actually going to do a kind of a a live recap of this car because it's an off the charts vehicle but right now let's uh, quickly uh, get in our top five and um, uh, top five things you should know and you know it's funny we call it the top five but there can be more or less than five items so the person that emailed me this week and said well you know you, you say top five but you only had three last week. Yeah, but there were three good ones. Would you rather have three good ones and two bad ones or, you know, three three solid things you can talk about around a water cooler, huh? Eh? All right, so there we go. We, we're in. All right, first thing is, um, uh, you know, one of the the consequences of this uh, uh, thing that we are going through as a nation and as a world, really, is if you go out on the roads these days, especially um, at night, if you're one of those people that work at night, you have probably seen this phenomena before, and I was first alerted to it uh, by one of my good friends, uh, Mary Behrens, who lives back in New York City. She sent me a video of a band of cars, uh, you know, at I don't know what time of night it was, but driving on the White Stone Expressway, uh, at, at a, probably a rate of over 100 miles an hour at 7 o'clock at night. And I'm sitting there going, whoa, wait a second. And I decided to check into it. then again, uh, a day later, I'm driving up I-5, and it's almost like the same band of cars went by me, you know, little um, uh, you know, Asian sports-oriented sedans. Uh, I believe they were Acuras. I might be wrong. But hot rods, you know, modified cars uh, that, um, you know, generally driven by young people. And so I started asking around, and sure enough, yesterday, CBS This Morning did a story on it. Uh, With the advent of this virus and the traffic being as it is, more and more speed enthusiasts are taken to the public roads to exercise their speed. Police in many different jurisdictions report that the uh, speed, not only the average speed is up, the number of tickets that they're writing are up, but in some jurisdictions, uh, these kids and people, not just kids, I'm sure there are people of all shapes and sizes and ages uh, that are doing this, figure that the cops aren't going to want to stop them because they aren't going to want to expose themselves to the uh, coronavirus, so they're taking it as license to speed. And according to the CBS report, several of these uh, people, several of these uh, uh, nitwits, have been grabbed doing well in excess of over a hundred miles an hour. If you go to cbsnews.com, you can find the story. But California's average speed is up 30%. Minnesota traffic deaths have doubled. Virginia state troopers caught a driver doing 111 on Interstate 95. Now, if you've ever driven Interstate 95, 111 seems to be an impossibility at 3 o'clock in the morning. Never mind at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. But yet these people are taking advantage of uh, this opportunity to speed. I'm sure if the West Seattle Bridge was open you'd see people flying over that thing day and night and I drove I had to drive over to uh, Western uh, Eastern Washington yesterday and uh, I will tell you that I was doing a you know my normal... 10 miles an hour in excess of the speed limit. And I had no less than 10 cars pass me on my way back from Spokane to here. No less than 10 cars passed me. Probably doing, uh, you know, a a quarter more than I was doing at least. So probably in excess of 100 miles an hour. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, obviously, the police should enforce this. But I think for you, as a a person who may go out on the roads, you need to be aware of this. You need to be aware that it's turning into, and I think a lot of the police will tell you, that it's turning into a little bit of Mad Max out there. That uh, the speed demons, the speed freaks, are, you know, ruling the road at the moment. And... So I think that means, you know, keep to the right. Let people go past you. Don't get in pissing matches with people. If they want to go past you, let them go past you. You know, don't be one of the people getting get in the way, you know, get over in the left lane and say, well, you know, speed limit here is uh, 70, and I'm going to sit there and do 70 and let this guy um, go. Because if a guy's going to do 120 or 130 miles per hour in the daytime on a public highway you know, there's probably no telling what their mental capacity is. And I tell you that as somebody who has sped in his lifetime and is a habitual speeder. And, um, you know, maybe because now we all feel life is a bit more precious, but I certainly feel like, you know, we need to, you, you know, you need to value your life when I've slowed down, which is either being old or... Or, uh, or older, I won't say old yet, or, or you know, being a person that, uh, that again, values their life a bit more through this whole uh, thing that's going on. Or just safety, just plain old safety. I mean, I, I imagine that there's some nitwit out there, you know, driving along again at, you know, 120 miles an hour, texting their friend. I we, There are certainly videos. See, that's the other thing that's involved here. We'll take a break here in just a second. That's the other thing that's involved here, is that you have people that now not only are speeding, but they're videotaping it, you know, they're they're recording it so that they can put it on YouTube and on Facebook and on all of that kind of stuff. And again, I'm not going to say that I'm innocent and I've never, you know, um, um, gone over the speed limit I'm not I'm not doing that because I have I'm guilty and I have the speeding tickets to prove it but I know number one I've been trained in how to drive a car at that speed but number two I also know what's what you know what speed is keeping up with traffic and what speed is dangerous and over what you should be. So all I'm saying to you is there's nothing I'm going to say. You're you're going to do no car crash video that we're going to show play here or no police officer we're going to have on that's going to say to you or no amount of money that you are going to find somebody that's going to say, I'm going to stop speed. Maybe you'll stop it for a day or two or this or that. But if you have that kind of car and if you're... You know, if, if, if you're a little mentally weak, you're going to go out there and do those kinds of You know, you're going to go back out there and do those kinds of numbers, and we're all going to have to pray that you don't kill somebody. All right, it's Drive Time Radio. I'm New York Vinny. Tracy Record from the West Seattle Blog joins us next to talk about the West Seattle Bridge right here on Drive Time Radio, 1150 KKNW.
0: Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Giving local voices a chance to shine. Alternative Talk, 1150.
1: We're back with you on Drive Time Radio. New York Vinny here with you. Saturday morning raining outside, but it's sunshine in our hearts. As I like to say, we get a chance now to uh, bring in an old friend and uh, somebody who I think has done, and I think not only do I think it, but I think uh, most people that know about uh, the media and blogs and the future of media uh, admit and admire and uh, put kudos on to the West Seattle blog, which is one of the first in the nation to cover community news in a way and a level that relates so much to the average person as opposed to the big media corporate giants, The uh, one of the founders of that blog. And Uh, A good friend is Tracy Record, and she joins us now. Tracy, good morning. How are you?
2: Good morning. Great, Denny. It's
1: good to hear your voice. Likewise. Uh, Thank you for getting up early. How um, How are you getting around these days? It
2: must be tough. Well, no, the funny thing is because of the nature of our business, we don't leave the peninsula much, so we have a kind of a skewed perspective of it. And, of course, also in the, uh, in the current outbreak, um, there's not a whole lot of reasons to, live, to leave. But, um, you know, looking ahead to the future, you know, we have doctors who are off Peninsula, friends who are off Peninsula, and uh, we're kind of trying to uh, map out how that future is going to be.
1: Yeah, we're talking about the closure of the West Seattle Bridge. Um, some of the gears and some of the, the mechanisms of the supports of the bridge have been found to be faulty. And so the city has decided that they need to shut it down. Not only did they decide that they needed to shut it down, uh, but uh, last week, Tracy, they came out and said that uh, uh, this bridge, as we know it, may never reappear again.
2: That was totally, uh, totally shocking. Not necessarily uh, unexpected, but to just look at this giant concrete hulk that's, you know, been so much a part of, uh, you know, hundred thousand plus people's lives for so long. And to think that uh, that may be the, I'm trying to, you know, I can't even remember, gee, when was the last time that I drove over it? its it's, You know, it's iconic for everybody over here.
1: Yeah, when I first got back to town, I remember, you know, I I still do go over to West Seattle all the time. And uh, I'm I'm still heading over there, you know, a couple of times a week and have become intimately familiar with the lower part where you have to go through and all the trucks and everything. And uh, it's it's really, uh, you know, not only was it... uh, you know a uh, an emblem or a symbol I should say of the community the bridge uh but it was uh you know a way to i don't know to you know to get to where you will go to connect yourself with the uh, with the mainland the people over on the peninsula the people in West Seattle now feel disconnected from the rest of Seattle uh
2: to some degree and I think it's particularly um uh, egregious for people who are living in the in the north end of West Seattle. If you want to separate the peninsula into two, we live a little toward the uh, south end, so the, the gateways that uh, exist now from the First Avenue South Bridge and South Park Bridge aren't quite as inaccessible. But for the people on the north end who are used to just driving on, you know, a couple particular roads, Admiral Way or Follower Way, and boom, you're on the bridge, um, suddenly they're looking at If you live in northwest Seattle, you may never have gone through southwest Seattle. I remember when we first discovered it uh, many years ago before we moved to this part, Um, you don't even think so much about West Seattle-Southwest Junction, and now everybody has to go through there to get to the ways off the peninsula.
1: Which is probably making everybody on 35th Avenue, which is now, I guess, the main drag through west Seattle, uh, extremely happy that all that traffic is back in front of their houses.
2: Yeah, a lot of uh, – we had uh, – when we reported uh, this uh, back on Wednesday when the city finally officially said, okay, it's going to be a long, long, long time and it may not be fixable, um, the, uh, the the story we posted about that it set a record for comments on our site, and more than a few of the commenters um, expressed uh, grumpiness about the past uh, road diets that uh, included 35th Southwest saying that, uh, gee, the city should consider restoring the, the lanes that were uh, that were narrowed back then.
1: Right, they put bike lanes in, I guess, and uh, and and moved it down and left turn lanes as well, and moved it down to uh, one lane, which I'm I'm sure is creating. Uh, again, now we live in a false world because we don't see what the real traffic is. Tracy Record from the West Seattle blog is with us, and Tracy, well, I mean, I look at bridges and I I look to New York and I, you know, where, where I'm from, and I see the. Brooklyn Bridge was built in 1899, and cars are going over, or 1889, and cars are going over every day to Manhattan and to Williamsburg. And these bridges built in the in, in the teens, in the twenties, in the thirties—they're a hundred years old. Um, you know, you look to uh, even around elsewhere around Washington State. You look at bridges, and you know they have this this long life. I don't think. Uh, I, what is this one? Twenty years old? What happened here?
2: Uh, it's uh, 36 years old, to be precise it was built uh, it was projected to have a 75 year life when it was uh, built in the um, in the mid 80s. and of course, even then you know it you know would be expected to stand longer than that. And the city has even released inspection reports uh, showing that uh, they, they first noticed cracks in the year 2013 and but they say, Concrete is expected to crack, so that wasn't a big deal. And then they kept checking and they kept checking every a year or two. And then suddenly, last year they discovered that things were getting a bit worse. And then early this year they suddenly discovered that things were getting a lot worse. And the day that they announced that, uh, gee, the bridge has these, you know, these cracks, and we're going to have to shut it down immediately, it was the most, <laughs> one of the most shocking things I've ever heard. I, I think it took the, uh, it, it took the whole day just to recover from that because part of what they did was that they hadn't told anyone. They hadn't even told city council members that they were monitoring this bridge much closely in recent years, and so city council members are, are pretty shocked, too, because at the very least, it should have been on some sort of a public watch list.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking that, that at, at, at the very least, you have, uh, you have some information that, that's out there. I mean, again, I've been gone for a while, but I never... You know, considered not going over the, you know, or, or somebody saying, "Well, there's a danger and this and that and things are cracking." You know, it was just kind of rolling along its its merry way. Any idea yet why it is cracked? I know that the, you know, buses and I've often been sitting on that bridge in traffic, and you're sitting there and you're saying, "Man, look at all these cars. How the heck does this bridge hold up all this traffic? Is it an engineering flaw? Is it a materials flaw? What? what any idea yet what?" Is um, I know I they really know what's wrong, but what ca- what's the causation of all of this?
2: The city's most recent um, speculation, uh, according to their uh, the, the the chief of the roadway structures division, is that it could just be a combination of things, a combination of traffic, heavier vehicles. They've even thrown in uh, the the sun, the the bridge's heating and cooling. But as, you know, some armchair observers have pointed out, wouldn't that all have been things that you planned in for? The only thing that you wouldn't have necessarily planned in for is just how many vehicles. And on the other hand, I've read some of the history, and it was projected to carry 80,000 vehicles by the turn of the century um, a day. And that's not so much less than it actually has. That's the level of traffic um, that the uh, city shows was going over it before the pandemic. So um, I... There's also this um, additional thing, an additional pier, that, uh, part of the bridge that has a uh, bearing problem that seems to be making the cracks worse as well. So it seems to be a, just a mild, major calamity of uh, things, con- you know, conflagrating.
1: What is it with Seattle? How come we have so much trouble building things out of concrete? I mean, you know, the King a few years ago. Now you got this thing falling down. I mean, is there some Are we not getting the right people to build the, uh, the the right concrete masons? I mean, we got that big plant that's right there by the by the West Seattle Bridge. I would think it would be easy to build stuff, but you know, with con- is our concrete less than everybody else's? Well, the
2: the interesting thing about that. And this has been brought up too. Is some people who remember back when the bridge was built, there was actually um, a bit of a scandal involving concrete. Some part of the concrete turned out to be someone noticed it was discolored and it had too much of something called fly ash in it. But all the literature contends that this was removed and replaced before the bridge was completed, so that shouldn't have been a factor. But, uh, you know, I don't know if it's just the fact that we've got a Dark cloud, almost literally hanging over us, so much of the time. Maybe there's too much rain, but of course, as you know, it's not really. We don't have as much rain as everyone thinks that we have. It just rains um, a lot. Um, I don't know if they'll ever find out that there was one particular thing um, that went that is what contributed to this.
1: Now, and we're talking to Tracy Record from the West Seattle blog here on Drive Time Radio on 1150 KKNW. Tracy, um, I contend, and I and I. I'll, I'll be interested to hear your thoughts on this. Uh, that not only do people in West Seattle get affected uh, by the West Seattle Bridge closing, and not only people in Seattle, but it's a region wide problem, and maybe even in some ways uh, bigger than the region, a West Coast problem, because so much freight goes not over the bridge, but on its attendant roadways under. The bridge, and if traffic and everything has to go through that corridor there, it's going to muck up um, all of the uh, all of the freight uh, trucks, all of the trucks that bring freight back and forth to the uh, port of Seattle, and create. Uh, possibly create, uh, although it seems like nothing compared to what we're going through right now, an economic hardship and the price of goods to rise and all sorts of things that happen when we see these types of problems, uh, you know, roadway closures and so on and so forth, uh, come up in that area of the Port of Seattle.
2: And that's um, another compounding factor is that the Port of Seattle has been working now um, already for much of this year. On an expansion at uh, Terminal 5, which is on this side, the West Seattle side of the bay, Um, it's something that was a major cargo terminal until uh, 2014 when they closed it and decided to to do a major um, uh, upgrade, and that upgrade is still underway. And the question is, once that opens, they're supposed to open uh, half of it toward the end of this year, that will exponentially add to the traffic, and even though they've currently – restricted the remaining low smaller West Seattle bridge to freight as well as emergency vehicles and transit um, there's a whole lot more trucks that would theoretically come through this so this is indeed kind of a regional emergency so as far
1: as money to rebuild is, is every household in West Seattle gonna have to chip in like a hundred bucks to uh, to make it happen or how now where does uh, a city? That, uh, you know, isn't doing all that well financially and has a ton of problems uh, already uh, dig into a pocket or whose pockets to rebuild this bridge. It's not, a, it's not an interstate, so you can't – well, you probably could go to the federal government and ask them for money uh, to do this, but, but how does – how do we look about financing it, and how does it work for the average person that lives uh, in Seattle, or does it spread out region-wide? How does, it, uh, how does that work, or does anybody even know yet?
2: The, the short answer is that they don't know yet. Um, the longer answer, they've actually talked about transit grants because there have been a lot of federal grants for local-type projects, especially given that uh, they're just handing out money left and right uh, in the uh, for the coronavirus uh, stimulus thing. Someone has pointed that out. Um, but then there's also a, um, you know, we're still in the middle of the most recent city transportation levy. That doesn't have a lot of spare dollars. Our local city council person, Lisa Herbold, has uh, long been not a fan of um, the city's plan to spend a lot of money on a, uh, another streetcar line connecting a couple parts of downtown. And she has already proposed that uh, perhaps they consider funneling some of that. But the big, the big question is what the price, if they have to replace the bridge itself, what would that cost? Because right now the price tag they've stuck on it is 33 million dollars just to get to the point where they can consider repairs. It's 33 million just to shore it up and to do some other maintenance that needs to be done in support. So it's a lot of money um, going to come have to come from somewhere.
1: Will this bridge reopen? And will uh, and, and if it does, um. Uh, are we looking at a short-term solution with a new bridge in the offing, or will, uh, will they be able to, you think, figure something out to, um, to fix it as, it as we see it now?
2: What they've said is that it's, uh, it definitely won't reopen for at least close to two years. It would be 2022 at the very, very, very earliest before they even envision seeing traffic on it. Um, and there's uh, something of a, uh, a loud voice so far saying, OK, well, if that's just to get it to the point where maybe they can fix it, and if they fix it, they've said that they could maybe get another 10 years out of it next, uh, there's there's certainly a, uh, a a growing viewpoint that, hey, never mind even trying to fix it, then just hurry up and start designing a replacement now. So that's, uh, that's a big decision that will have to be made in the months ahead.
1: And that's almost the same place we were back in 1994 with the Kingdom Is where you know the ceiling tiles came down and and uh, the, they found concrete problems with it and uh, you know it was going to cost two hundred or three hundred million dollars to fix it uh, to make it you know usable again. Uh, why not just knock it down and build a uh, build a ballpark uh, you know next door and and so on and so forth? Uh, although I don't think that the Mariners are going to want to chip in on this one.
2: No, and, but that is, it's the same exact sentiment. It's, you know, are we going to throw good money after bad, um, as, as, the, as the old saying goes, or uh, just go ahead and uh, start fresh? And then there's a lot of people already asking practical questions about, okay, would they have to tear down the entire bridge? But even that, too, would be something you talked about, the, you know, the regional effects. Um, you know, there's the low bridge that currently goes across the Duwamish right there. Goes right under this one. How in the world are you going to take this one down? You can't just do a kingdom style implosion and let chunks of concrete, you know, fall into the Duwamish River. So there's a, a lot of fascinating uh, planning that's going to be uh, months and years in the offing here.
1: Yeah, I think that. Uh, well, I I hope when they rebuild this thing that they maybe think about going outside for concrete help because uh, again, I just look around and and I look at things that we build the concrete in the city, and um, boy, they they just don't have the same kind of life that they have somewhere else, and uh, it's uh, it's just it's it's crazy to uh, to consider it. It still baffles me as I talk to you, how much this. Um, how much this uh this bridge which is such a symbol and has been a symbol of, i mean i can't tell you about all the things i've thought about uh, driving back and forth over that bridge going from ball games into just how much of a of a of a, uh, of a vein uh you know an artery not even a vein an artery of of uh, the heart of west seattle that this bridge isn't to have it cut out like this um is 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 tough 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 on the uh, on the community but As we all know, uh, you know, West Seattle's a strong place, it and the city will figure out a way to get past this, won't it?
2: I think absolutely. I think that uh, people are still in shock and all this talk of, oh, my gosh, you know, our economy is toast and houses are going to be, you know, worth five cents on the dollar. I don't think that that's true at all. I think that uh, there's still going to be a whole lot of uh, appeal to the community. It's also a reason to for local businesses to realize that they're more vital than ever because people can't just on a whim, you know, hop across the bridge and go out to dine downtown. And, uh, you know, things have been uh, you know, getting all the better uh, over here in, in recent years in terms of uh, more vibrant businesses. So I hope that people will, you know, take a kind of look at what's in their best interest and then know that uh, we're going to be okay somehow.
1: Yeah, people said that when they, when, before they started the tunnel, too. I mean, I remember people talking about, uh, you know, because at that time I owned a house in West Seattle, how much property values were going to go down because you couldn't get downtown. It was going to be all screwed up. The West Seattle Bridge was going to be gridlocked. Uh, everything was going to be such a mess. And uh, last I looked, housing values hadn't dropped too much in West Seattle in the last 10 years.
2: No, they have not. In fact, uh, they've, uh, you know, somewhat skyrocketed, and it'll be really interesting. That's one of many follow-ups that we have uh, queued up for the weeks and, and months ahead to come is, uh, you know, how, how will that sort of thing work out? And, you know, what are real estate agents going to uh, make the pitch? I mean, like, you know, idyllic West Seattle, quieter, out of the way. Who knows? There's, you know, always uh, always a silver lining.
1: Yeah, West Seattle. Thank God we didn't build the monorail, right?
2: <laughs> i don't know there's some say that's uh, that's come up too as if they build the monorail maybe uh you know who knows maybe that part of the bridge would still be standing uh, the path the monorail was going to take and the rest of it wouldn't be uh, so who knows tracy it's good to hear your voice good to talk
1: to you thank you so much for uh, spending a, a little time with us um again folks if you um if you want to know what's going on, not just in West Seattle, but the great coverage of local, uh, local civics and so on and so forth, the westseattleblog.com. Do you have an app yet, Tracy, or or can I, can I just put you on my smartphone
2: yet? You can just put us on your uh, smartphone and just put a little uh, screen shortcut to westseattleblog.com, dot and uh, we're you know we've got mobile versions as well as a desktop.
1: A great job as always, Tracy. Thanks so much for jumping on with us. Thank you, Vinny. All right, Tracy Record from the West Seattle blog, uh, giving you the, uh, the primer on uh, the West Seattle bridge. And again, you know, you could say, well, you know, who cares, West Seattle? But it is so tied into the region, it is so tied into what this, um, you know, moving freight in and out of the port, and how many times have we heard that that argument uh, over the past um, 10 years 15 years uh, of you know we have to build flyovers because we have to get freight to the port we have to build this we have to do this all that that work that's going on down in the soto district for uh mobility you know it's not just a question of cars and getting to the ball game although that's part of it and we didn't even touch on how this will affect the Seattle Mariners because, uh, you know, a decent part of their fandom, I, I would think, although, you know, last couple of years I've been looking, and believe you me, uh, it, they could put everybody in West Seattle in the seats that they have available, but at some point you're going to, uh, you know, the Mariners are going to get good again, I believe, and we'll play baseball again, and life will return to some vision of normal, and, People will come from West Seattle uh, to the ballpark, and it looks like that trip now um, is going to be uh, a lot longer than it used to be. It used to be a great zip. Uh, I lived, like, again, down in Gatewood, uh, off of California, and that was, you know, boom, Fort Roy, right, hit the bridge, bang, you're at the ballpark in, you know, five minutes. Um I remember sometimes when I used to do the post-game show and they were on the road. I could sit home, have dinner, watch TV, the game on TV, jump in a car and get to the Cairo Studios. That's not going to happen anymore, Uh, at least uh, in my lifetime. I mean, you think about it, it's probably going to take, you know, there's there's many of us who are older who aren't going to see the next bridge, probably, or at least are going to see it from a place where we're not going to have to worry about traffic. All right, the... The uh, cartoon of the week is coming up. I'm driving a purple BMW this week, so I thought I would uh, do some purple stuff. We'll take a quick break, come back, and uh, play that cartoon for you and uh, get you a review of that same car, or at least they talk about that same car. Coming up here on Drive Time Radio, I'm New York Vinny. Thank you so much for listening to our radio show right here on LEM50 KKNW. Buckle up for safety. Buckle up Buckle up for safety. Always buckle up. Pull your seat belt snug. Give an extra tongue. Buckle up for safety. Buckle up. Buckle up for safety. Buckle up. Buckle up for safety. Always buckle up. Show the world you care. Buy the belt you wear. Buckle up for safety when you're driving. Buckle up. Buckle up for safety. Buckle up. Buckle up for safety, always buckle up. Put your mind at ease, and your riders please. Get your seatbelts buckled, everybody buckle up. The National Safety Council says seatbelts can and do save lives every day. Buckle up for safety, everybody buckle
0: up. Make us part of your daily routine. Alternative Talk, 1150.
1: I don't know why I'm in an unusually good mood this morning. I don't know if it's the rain is back, and I feel, you know, I'm one of them weird people that love the rain. New York Vinny, hanging out with you Saturday morning. It's drive time right here on 1150 KKNW on the World Wide Web at 1150kknw.com. We're on podcast on Apple and Stitcher and wherever great podcasts are sold, although you don't have to pay for the podcast, from what I understand. I mean, I'm... I've I've actually never downloaded one and listened to it. I don't, well, actually, I have, no. I, I take that back. I did it on Apple. But I have iTunes, but iTunes doesn't exist anymore. I don't know. Anyway, um, yes, uh, by all means, please download our podcast. Uh, please also keep in contact with us at uh, drivetime-radio.com. We're rebuilding our website. Uh, We're taking this time to rebuild the website. So if you go on there and you see old stuff, keep checking back because we have an array of new stuff uh, that will be coming up, including, uh, you know, great features that we do that you don't particularly get on the radio show. We do a feature every week um, that talks about great places to visit in the Seattle area. It's called our Sunday Drive. They're places that you can get in the car and drive to on a Sunday or whatever day you decide that you want to go. But, you know, quick day trips, uh, car day trips that that bring you to interesting places in the Seattle area and in the Northwest. There's some great stuff to go drive and see around here. And uh, a lot of it goes, um, I don't know, undiscovered. So we definitely want you to know about that. So you go to our website. You can always email me at Vinnie, V-I-N-N-I-E, at drivetime-radio.com. We're on Twitter at NYVinnie. I'm on Facebook at New York Vinnie Ricci, Or you can find me as well at drivetimeradioandtelevision.com. We also put our videos on Facebook. And um, also we'll have a special treat for you. This Wednesday morning I talked a little bit about this Last week, but we're going to make it happen this Wednesday morning at 11 o'clock. Mikey and Vinny return to the, um, do you call them airwaves if they're on Facebook? The Face Waves. Yes, the Face Waves. We will be on the Face Waves. We're going to do a show on Wednesday morning at 11. So please, um, please uh, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell anybody who will listen to you uh, that you have to um, tune in on Wednesday morning will be uh, the housewife's friend, as I like to call us. We make your day go quicker. Uh, uh, 11 o'clock, it's sa- um, supposed to be Saturday morning. 11 o'clock, Wednesday morning, Michael Knight and New York Vinnie return to the face waves uh, as uh, we just put the show back together for uh, once and see how it uh, works. Who knows? Maybe there's a, um, a podcast there as well. All right, it's our time for our. Song of the Week, our Cartoon of the Week. I'm driving this BMW X6 Competition, uh, X6M, competition edition. It's a rocket. No human being should be able to drive one of these things without a special permit or a license or proof that you know how to handle a vehicle like this, but yet they do sell them. If you have $130,000, you can walk up to your BMW dealer, plunk it down, and he will give you one. It doesn't take an intelligence test to buy one, as we saw. Well, it wasn't a BMW, but the film, if you saw, of that guy with the $750,000 car that crashed it the other day in New York City because he was going too fast, hit a couple of park cars. I believe he might have hit a pedestrian or two as well. So it doesn't take brains to drive these cars, but it does take some skill. Uh, hopefully you get that skill and use that skill. But the one I'm driving is a deep purple color, and I said to myself, you know what? I seem to remember that there is a song about driving from the band Deep Purple. Remember them? Hush and Smoke on the Water and, um, you know, a bunch of songs. Uh, what was their, what was it? Live at Budokan was their big, one of their big albums that we all heard from, and that was uh, Smoke on the Water. Uh, My Woman from Tokyo, I believe, was them as, as well. So lots of um, lots of great stuff from Deep Purple in the 70s. They're, they're one of the iconic 70s band. And this was a song, that way back in my past life, I remember, I can't remember the guy's name who drove the tow truck, but we, we used to drive tow trucks in New York City. And on the back of this one tow truck that used to um, used to patrol the, um, the highways of New York City was written in big letters over the window, Highway Star. So let's play it for you right now. Our cartoon of the week, Highway Star from Deep Purple here on Drive Time Radio. Deep Purple on 1150 KKNW, your home of the hits. Now, that is the Highway Star. And, uh, boy, what a, uh, what a, I mean, if that one doesn't get you up and moving and wanting to drive, and, you know, it's funny because I listened to that song yesterday, and that is, by the way, our cartoon of the week here on Drive Time Radio, and I listened to that song yesterday, and I, um, boy, oh, boy, I listened to it while I was driving this Deep Purple BMW M6 Competition Package that is uh, the car of uh, the uh, drive time road test of the week, and boy howdy, <laughs> that's about. Uh, it, it is just such an experience to drive this car. I had to go over to Western uh, to Eastern Washington to um, uh, for some kind of you know thing that I had to had to go. To. There was no way I could do it uh, by video, and. Uh, got to drive this thing over and back, and I've been spending the week in this car, and it is, again, from BMW, if you get a chance to drive one, if you get a chance to uh, spend some time in one, if you get a chance to just admire one, to have somebody take you for a ride in one, do it, because it is the most unbelievable um, uh, uh, joining of luxury and speed and competition, as the package says, uh, that you'll ever find. It's an incredible, incredible car. It looks different than everything else on the road out there. You know, it's funny to me, and again, when the people at BMW hear this, they're probably going to never give me a car again. But it strangely reminds me of if BMW made the Pontiac Aztec. So it's not the slickest, most beautiful car uh, that you'll ever drive. It is a performance coupe. It has, um, you know, it's obviously lower than the Aztec. It doesn't have the high roof and so on and so forth. But there's a certain basic line about the car that reminded me of the Pontiac Aztec. And in my mind, is as close as it came, because once you sit into the seat, you sit in the car, you get in. You start the thing up. It has a rumble that's an unmistakable BMW rumble. And you can feel it. I've driven, listen, I've driven the, the, the Challenger uh, two-key, uh, you know, experience there. And I've, I've driven fast cars and Audis and Mercedes and so on and so forth. And there's something that BMW builds into this uh sports coupe, the sports sedan, I should say, uh, uh, with the all-wheel drive with the two red buttons that are on uh, the steering wheel that you hit, and it changes the tuning uh, and the feel and the demeanor of the car to change it from this kind of luxury cruiser into this snarling, growling, panting, heavy-breathing animal Of a machine. It's almost when you hit that red button, the car crosses a line uh, from you controlling it to it seducing you. So you're still in control of what's going on, but there's a seduction in sound, a seduction in feeling, a seduction in driving that you feel with this car that very rarely rears its head among cars. It's uh, once in a, you know, again, I drive 100 to 150 cars a year, and when it happens, it's it's an experience. It's unlike anything else. You don't want to get out of the car. And that's what the, the BMW M6 competition package brings you over the, um, just the regular BMW M6. Uh, it gives you this incredible uh, luxury when you want it. But it, when you also take the car to a track and you want to put the car out on a track and blaze it and make it get this, this feeling of, of, of communion with the car, it gives you that as well. And that is maybe the greatest compliment you can pay to a performance machine. You're not just driving a car. It's not just you're loading the kids in the car and you're going out for pleasure. Although, again, you can have that with this car if you so desire. You can set it into, uh, I mean, I believe there's even an eco mode in this car somewhere. I didn't I didn't look for it, I got to tell you. I went through a couple of tanks of gas in this car. Um but uh, when it when you hit that button and the steering changes, the um, uh, the the suspension changes, the chassis tightens up, uh, the steering buckles down. You you get that feeling in your in in your butt. Where you sit in and you hold that wheel, it's a fat, you know, fat racing steering wheel, and you hit those buttons and you put it into manual and you're hitting those flippers. You hit that button, that little light goes off that says you're out of traction control and everything else, and you take off, and all of a sudden, everything, your whole life, is going faster when you drive that car. Now, you also have to remember that as your life goes faster, everybody else's life around you is slow. So, again, uh, I don't know. I'd get one and, you know, try to do 100. But but you have this feeling that the car is capable of doing almost anything you want it to, uh, certainly uh, within reason of, of driving around a track, of, uh, you know, driving uh, up a mountain road, handling curves handling uh, the way uh, the car feels under you the tightness of the car it feels like it'll do anything it's not the roomiest car in the class it's not um as i said before it's got you know do you want to call it the best looking car in the class i don't know i guess maybe you could or you could uh, it depends if you're a bmw fan or not but certainly uh, i'm interested in driving other cars in this class to see how it stacks up, because to me, the BMW M6, uh, the way it sits with uh, the horsepower, it has over 600 horsepower, the way it um, it uh, uh, powers up, the way it handles, and the way it moves around, the way it presents itself, and the way it makes you feel as a driver is worth the hundred thirty uh, something thousand dollars plus that you have to pay for this car. People will ask you, "Why do you buy a car like that?" And again, it's um, it's a car that makes you feel like nothing else out there, uh, except maybe another car in its class. And then it comes down to preference. Do I like a BMW? Uh, do I like uh, a Mercedes? Do I like an Audi? I've always been an Audi fan myself, but boy, oh boy, to drive this car around, to spend a, a day driving back and forth around, uh, you know, deserted Washington roads was uh, an absolute pleasure. So that is our drive time road test. Uh, there's more to, we'll, we'll have more on this car in the weeks to come, but I wanted to put that out there because it really, um, it really is a car to be reckoned with, right? That is going to do it for this edition of Drive Time. We thank you so much for listening. We'll join you next Saturday. morning. thank you to Tracy Record, to Nathan Back at the station, to everybody else that listens to Drive Time Radio here on 1150 KKNW.